This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Double Tap. It is Monday, it's the 26th of February, 2024. Coming up today, we're back in the studio with an old friend, Colin Hughes, talks Neuralink, Meta and Vision Pro. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your host, Stephen Scott. Yeah, just me today. Sean's having a well-earned rest after some uh, extensive travelling. So, uh, yes, I am here with you today, and I've got an old friend with me as well. I'm so pleased to welcome back to Double Tap, Colin Hughes. It's great to have you uh, back with us. Long-time disability campaigner, living with muscular dystrophy. Uh, it's great to have you back on Double Tap with me uh, today. Great to be with you. Uh, let's just dive right in. Honestly, there are so many topics that we could pick on to talk about, and you, you're such, such an interesting guy to talk to on all of these areas. I want to, I want to dive in with some of the headline stuff because, look, I, I know you are someone who wants to talk a lot about and does talk a lot about Siri and you know the the, the state of of Apple accessibility to some degree, um, the good, the bad, the ugly, and we're going to dive into all of that. I promise, but. I want to start with some other companies for a minute because there's a lot of interesting products out there at the minute. And they all kind of tout in their own way options that maybe not immediately scream accessibility, but in a way do. So I think about Humane, for example. When the Humane AI pin was launched, there was a big discussion in the blind community, especially, that nobody was kind of mentioning accessibility at this point. This could be a great product and a great accessible product, but it was never really kind of talked about from their point of view, we could see it. What, what's, what's your take on a device like, say, the Humane AI pin? I've been really intrigued to know. One thing that leapt out to me straight away is what you've just mentioned, the lack of any mention by the company of accessibility. So when a new product gets launched, I home in on voice capabilities because that's what I need for my impairment. And I was like, really disappointed that there basically are none. And there's no mention of accessibility in the documentation and press reports that I've I've seen. And that is disappointing. At the moment, I can't see this exciting new bit of tech being of any use to me whatsoever. Yeah, that's that's the that's a shame, right? I mean, in some respects, we we can kind of look at the potential, and we can see what might be. But of course, if the company aren't talking about it, there's no guarantee that it will go beyond our ideas or imaginations. No, that's why people like you and me need to talk about these glaring emissions. Um, yeah, and that may well, you know, concentrate minds at humane and they'll see you know new markets potentially opening up to them now one area that is most definitely aimed at disabled people uh one company you might say is Neuralink. and uh, you know whenever i mention Neuralink to anybody i almost i almost get the sense i can't see it but i get the sense of a wry smile from whoever i'm speaking to because Immediately, I think, as soon as you say Neuralink or Twitter or X or whatever it's called this week, you know, whenever you say these names, immediately one name jumps in front of it, and that is Elon Musk. And the focus draws to him. But 
I want to ask you about what Neuralink is actually doing, which is trying to find ways to help people uh, perhaps move again, be able to navigate devices through thoughts, or see again. Where are you with a company like Neuralink? What do you think from your perspective? I have those mixed feelings. Um, on the one hand, discomfort at the the owner of uh, Neuralink um, and all the baggage that he that brings to the table. But on the other hand, that could be my future and not too distant future. You know, at the moment I can just about speak, so I can control uh, devices with my voice. There is other technology that comes after that, like iJ's technology. But whenever I've seen it in action, it does seem slower. And I'm a person that wants to communicate quickly and effortlessly. And if Neuralink lives up to the hype and the promises, it does look like a very instant way of communicating. And that captures my interest. The other thing I would say is that as somebody with a very severe disability, physical disability, including heart failure and respiratory failure, I would actually be terrified of going under the knife. So, you know, mm. would I risk my life to have instant communication, effortless, with Neuralink? I think the answer is no. So that's why I'm sort of torn a bit with Neuralink. I like what it promises. I would love it, but it may be a price too high to pay for someone like me. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. This is why I love your perspective on this, because I, I suppose in my head, I'm always thinking about that perspective. And again, it comes from someone from, from my point of view who has gone through vision loss progressively over time, uh, starting off with a visual impairment and then it getting progressively worse, now having a physical condition as well with this essential tremor. I was telling you about it in the email earlier. Uh, you know, it is, it's not something I would consider to be horrific, you know, for me, but it's, it, it is a pain in the backside as well, or hands, actually, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but, you know, it is it's not fun to have, right? And I think when, you know, we have progressive conditions, I think we tend to look at those conditions perhaps differently to someone who was born with a condition, especially if that condition is set. So say someone, for example, who's totally blind, who's always been blind, who hasn't known anything different, and there's nothing physically or, or visually changing. Um, their view on life, I think, is often quite different to ours. And therefore, maybe we look at this this kind of technology from a very different viewpoint. Do you think, do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think it's a very fair point. You know, if, you've, um, if you've lived with a condition all your life, it's very different to somebody who becomes suddenly disabled. I'm, I'm lucky in a way mm. that my condition is progressive but it's ever so slowly progressive. And it gives me time to, to adjust to things, to try out new technology, bring it in slowly so I can adapt to things. But I always remember up until the age of 40, I'm 58 now, 
had no problem whatsoever typing on a keyboard. But I remember the day when I first thought about voice technology and how that could help. And I just started dabbling with it to begin with. I didn't really need it, but I remember the thought in my mind, Colin, you might need this one day, so you might as well engage with it, invest in it, and get used to it. But I'm really glad, you know, I had that thought. Um, but it wasn't easy in the early days. The voice technology was quite basic. It has improved. Um, mm. But for people who become suddenly disabled overnight, it must be really challenging trying to work out how you're going to communicate from now on. And there is technology out there, but what's best for you? And, and it's so difficult in that situation to have that conversation with anybody, right? Because everybody around you wants to help and they want to tell you everything's going to be fine and they want to help you as much as they can. But of course, in a way that kind of gets in the way of what perhaps needs to be said, which is we as individuals have to really put our shoulder to the wheel and actually learn this new technology, learn how to use devices we use every day. We have to do this because otherwise, how do we continue working? How do we continue enjoying life? All these these parts of, of how technology can actually make our lives better. We have to we have to engage in that, right? Yeah, and I think that thought is what's driven my advocacy over the last six years. You know, I realized uh six years ago that it's all about communication these days. Communication mm. through technology. But if it doesn't work, you don't have a voice. You don't have a voice in the workplace. You don't have a voice in relationships. You don't have a voice in education. So for me, communication is, is everything. I, I, I could talk about this subject all day, but let's get back to the tech for a minute, because honestly, we'll just be uh, talking about this all day. And I, and I know a lot of people do enjoy when we do get into this topic, but, but you know, we're here to talk tech, Colin. So let's geek out a little bit. Meta Ray-Ban. Now, this is something that you have been very excited about for a long time. The second version came out, and uh, I want to get your take on the new version. And maybe maybe start off by telling us why you got into the Meta Ray-Ban first, what drove you to buying that, and then what's changed in version two? Well, I'm a huge fan, so you're right there. Um, as soon as I heard that, that the Ray-Ban Stories first version had WhatsApp capabilities, that was me hooked, because I use WhatsApp for all my communication, all day, every day. So hands-free WhatsApp, bit a pair of smart glasses, really hooked me in and made me buy the Rayman stories about 15 months ago. Um, to my surprise, though, whilst WhatsApp has proved indispensable for chatting to colleagues, family, friends, and so on, it's been the, the ability to take photos that's really, you know, given me so much opportunities, pleasure, um, so many things 
being able to take photos and video uh, for the first time myself, hands-free, with a voice command. I've never been able to do that. And that was ever, right? I mean, that was yeah. that was like the first time ever you could yes. do that. So in that sense, they've been a joy to own, to use. I've got a lot of pleasure out of it. But people who I meet um, from all walks of life, they're amazed that a pair of glasses on my face can do so many things. Um, and it's at a reasonable price point. You know, it's about £300, a little bit more than AirPods Pro, for example. A yeah. good pair of earbuds, these smart glasses, and just a tiny bit more. Um, but they bring so much more to the table. So I've been a huge fan from the get-go, you know, messaging, photographs, videos, music. And I have to wear glasses anyway, so it's no, no big deal. Yeah, incredible. And you mentioned WhatsApp and all these applications like whatsapp is obviously a major one for you right for communication for calls for messages it's just so simple to do and you're getting that audible response you're able to respond vocally it's just incredible i mean i use whatsapp as well and i use it because i just find the apple messaging audio messaging system just not that accessible to be perfectly honest. i mean it's it's accessible but there's accessibility and there's usability and um i don't think it's that usable in some ways it's quite irritating whereas whatsapp is brilliant just the ability to easily send messages and blind people we do love to send messages in audio which usually means we send messages of upwards five minutes so you'd be pleased to hear i won't be whatsapping you anytime soon colin or the battery will be dead in those uh, ray-bans by the time that we finish a conversation but you know again this is something which is sold as a leisure device it's you know for instagram for face uh was it facebook live to friends and you know, making videos, but you're kind of, you're getting a much deeper uh, meaning out of this technology. Yes, I don't think Meta gets that because they don't mention it anywhere. Mm. There's no accessibility setting in the accompanying app. There's nothing in their publicity. So I don't think, you know, they've grasped how, you know, independence enhancing this particular product that is. I, I don't know why they don't want to talk about that aspect, but they've got something that they could celebrate, really. But I've had no engagement from them, even though I've written quite extensively about the accessibility advantages. Well, I, I, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, because I know you do a lot of advocacy, and we hear a lot about different products from you, and you've talked about Meta Ray-Ban as, as one example, but have you engaged with the company? Have you had any communication with them at all? None at all. I mean, I've obviously sent them the odd article that I've written and so on, but nothing, no. That's interesting, right? It's interesting. Why is that? I wonder why that is. Because, I mean, you know, here's an example of, you know, this isn't you going in saying, hey, this is wrong, something's wrong here, complaint, complaint, complaint. Like, you know, they probably get that a lot. You know, someone's coming in saying, hey, this is a great thing, this can change my life. Surely they should be, you know, Champion. Yeah, I think they're missing a trick. I really, I really do. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm at a loss to explain why. 
I mean, you think Meta, especially recently with Mark Zuckerberg in front of the US Congress, might could, could certainly do with a bit of positive PR yeah, at this it, point. It, so <laughs> it might be not a bad thing. He's a man in need of a good news story. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the, the latest version, you've obviously got the WhatsApp support. You're able to take photos. Um, and, okay, accessibility isn't really part of the app. It's not something that features. But you find it accessible enough to be able to do what you need to do, right? Yeah, with the second generation, they have ironed out several, you know, shortcomings in the first version. It's got five onboard microphones, which makes calls, handling calls, much clearer, talking to the onboard, better assistant, again, much clearer. They hear you, it hears you first time perfectly. Um, it doesn't um, leak much sound like it used to. So you've got these open-ear speakers. And in the first version, everybody could hear all your WhatsApp messages and your music very easily. Um, they've changed that technology now in the speakers, where it emits very little noise now. So your messages are pretty private just to you. Um, as they come in, and as yeah. they're spoken out to you. Battery life is about the same, maybe slightly less, but you can charge it up X number of times in the case. Um, and the quality of the photos is better. There's a higher megapixel camera. Um, so I'm really looking forward to getting out this summer and you're taking lots more photos and videos, just sort of documenting my day-to-day life. I still have to pinch myself, but I can do that. Because I know many other people have been doing it for decades, but I've just got into it. And it's great. It's a great feeling. That's all you hear about, right? You hear about people just taking endless pictures of their own face in front of, you know, uh, rather interesting ruins or, you know, interesting places around the world. And and why shouldn't we have that option? And it, it's it, and the thing is, of course, the interesting argument here with with non-disabled people is that they'll often say, "Well, no one's stopping you doing this." As in, we're not stopping you. It's just that the technology is not able to make it happen. But, and, and yeah, you're right. I mean, most people aren't stopping us. No one's holding us back or throwing our cameras to the ground. But, you know, technology has to be accessible in order for us to access it. And it kind of seems weird to me that it's taken all this time and a pair of glasses to end up being the solution for you. In a really, really consumer-like product, you know, at a, at a yeah. good price point. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, we talk about Neuralink and we talk about Meta and, of course, the names like Elon Musk and Zuckerberg come up and, of course, there's always controversies around these guys. I wonder how much you think that gets in the way of the message sometimes. You know, when you think about Neuralink, you think about Humane, maybe to a lesser extent because we don't really know the people yet behind Humane. I know they're fairly public people now, but, you know, we don't really know who they are, you know, to name drop them or talk about them in the way that everyone talks about Elon Musk as if they know him or, you know, Mark Zuckerberg in the same way. Do you think the message gets lost sometimes around the, the products, what their capabilities are because of those people? Yeah, I think, you know, mud sticks. 
I can talk about Apple quite easily and just say hmm. they're a company that have always been good on accessibility, always been very receptive to uh, user feedback. Um, but I don't get that sense with Meta and Zuckerberg and Musk. I think one of the first things that Musk did when he took over Twitter was fire half of the accessibility department. So I don't know where these two guys stand on accessibility, but I don't doubt Apple's commitment to accessibility. But it is the problem, isn't it, that you know you see a technology. I mean, I, I just I, I pick on Neuralink because it just that is something that is designed at its heart to be something that can, in quotes, cure disability. Now, that's a debate in itself, whether or not that's a good thing, a bad thing, a welcome thing. That's a huge debate. And I think it's a very individual decision for people. Um, You know, in Canada, for example, there's a huge debate going on around rights-assisted dying. And, you know, again, that's a very personal decision. But, of course, it's difficult for governments to regulate that because they have to come up with a solution which is almost a one-size-fits-all but doesn't always fit all. Um, but, you know, when you look at these companies and what they're doing, they're trying to come up with these solutions. And I just I, I think that sometimes the underlying technology gets kind of brushed aside because it's almost as if Elon Musk is creating this in his own back garden and, you know, he's coming up with these ideas and it's because his name's attached, suddenly it's... Oh, forget it. It's just Elon Musk. It's a lot of nonsense. And I, I'm not going to take a, a, a chip in my brain from Elon Musk. Um, that that gets in the way, I think, of the progress sometimes. And there's, the people behind this are not Elon Musk. Yeah, people are, are quickly dismissive. Um, I don't dismiss Neuralink, as I said earlier. I think um, it is extremely tempting. But at the moment, to me, like I mentioned, it's the risk of implanting mm. this device, the surgery risk that would, you know, put me off at the moment. But the actual end goal of effortless communication with my severe disability is hugely appealing, hugely. You know, I watch um, some people with advanced stage to neuron disease and you know the way that Stephen Hawking used to communicate and it's great that technology mm. is there but to me I see it as a as a barrier as something that will be difficult to use but slow not instant and what new link promises for people like Stephen Hawking but even mention it in their publicity, is instant auctioneer-like communication. And that is mm. goddamn appealing. Absolutely, right? I mean, it, that's the whole point. It, it, it shouldn't just replace, say, speech or movement. It should in, ideally enhance to some degree as well. I mean, at the very least, equal what you have or had, but ideally improve on that. That, that makes it even more appealing. I guess. Absolutely. So before we move on to Apple, because I, there's so many questions around Apple that I want to ask you about, um, AI 
is everywhere, right? That's all we're hearing about. Everything is AI. It feels like my toilet has AI. My uh, my toothbrush is AI. Everything is AI in it. And it sounds brilliant. Um, and some of it's useful. And some of it is clearly just become a catch-all phrase for just anything that's got smart brain in it, um, or at least the, the idea of a smart brain. Um, how useful do you feel AI can be to the disability community? What, what practical uses are there for it? What can it do for us? I think it's already useful. Apple call it, they prefer to call it machine learning, but it is AI. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. already present yeah. in Apple technology. So, for example, Apple can second guess that I contact a particular contact by WhatsApp and not by iMessage. So, for example, I want to send you a message with my AirPods dictated out, and you are, you and me regularly contact each other by WhatsApp. We don't contact each other by iMessage. Now, when, when I first time I dictate a message to you, Siri will say in your head, I've noticed. You mentioned her name. She's going to speak. <laughs> Siri will say with a little voice in my head, but I've noticed that you regularly contact Stephen by WhatsApp. Shall I send this message by WhatsApp? And I will say yes. Then every subsequent message that I send you will automatically always be by WhatsApp. But why does that help me and my accessibility needs? It means that at the end of every message I send you, I don't have to say the words by WhatsApp. But that's two words less that I have to enunciate. And my breath and my energy is extremely limited. So not have to say those two words every time I send a message is a huge accessibility gain. And that is there now. Now, imagine that being replicated in all other areas of operating systems. So AI has potentially huge benefits in in automating very mundane tasks, which often take a huge toll on my energy levels. Now, you cite that example, and I think there's a lot of people who might sit there and think, but without hearing you or knowing you, might think, wow, you know, that, that's such a simple thing, right? I mean, if, yeah, okay, it can pick up that you want to contact someone on WhatsApp, but it's that word economy that you're looking for all the time. You're trying to find ways of saying things in the fewest amount of words possible to conserve your breath. And and that is something, and your energy. So it's all about for you that that's your thing, right? And that that's how AI can help you. Again, to someone else, we might have expected you to say, "Oh, well, it's the Chat GPT capabilities and how it's getting to write my emails and it helping me write Word documents and I'm sending Excel spreadsheets and creating PowerPoints every five minutes." 
that's all great and wonderful, but that's not how you're seeing it. You're seeing it in much more practical ways, and, and some would say simpler ways. Um, Apple has obviously done and has begun this journey towards AI, or ML, as they, they may wish to call it, machine learning. Um, and it's interesting to see how they'll develop this, because, of course, the talk is iOS 18 that will come out later in the year will be the first time that we'll actually see this enhanced Siri, uh, which I think we're all hoping for. I mean, it's interesting you talk about the, the benefits of Siri with something like WhatsApp, and then I think about the other day trying to open up Amazon and asking me, what do you want, Prime or Amazon? And I said, Amazon. And it said, opening Prime. And I'm, you know, come on. So, you know, this this kind of stuff, you know, it's like on one hand it's intelligent, and on the other hand it's like, really? So, you know, there's clearly work to be done. The, the new brain, the essentially, or the engine, I think I, I tend to think of it like an engine. I think it's like a replacement of an engine inside the car, um, which I think is what Siri is going to get this year. Could be really interesting. What, what are your hopes for the enhanced Siri? I expect a lot of potholes in the road. I don't expect things to go extremely smoothly. Um, but I do expect step-by-step gains along the along the way um i'm bracing myself for you know problems but i'm very hopeful that things will be much better in in the medium term with ai particularly in the way that it levels the playing field for the people in my situation well, it is the topic of conversation at the moment. We're going to continue that conversation with you in just a moment, Colin. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about Apple because you've been doing so much advocacy work with Apple. And uh, I know there's lots you want to talk about there. So stick around. We'll continue this conversation with Colin Hughes as we discuss uh, all kinds of technology uh, from the, the wider disability viewpoint here on Double Tap. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. Call the Double Tappers now, 1-877-803-4567 or email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. And today on Double Tap, just me with you today, along with Colin Hughes, disability advocate. And uh, he is here to talk uh, all things, as we've just been discussing, Neuralink, Meta, uh, fantastic uh, Ray-Ban glasses that I now own as well, which I'm really pleased to to share. And uh, also Humane. But uh, of course, Apple is another area where, Colin, you have really been uh, advocating quite a lot. I've been... Watching a lot of videos recently on YouTube about Vision Pro, as everybody else has, trying to get, because of course we don't have it here in the UK, so you know, you and I can't get our hands on it yet to get a sense of what this thing is. I'm still kind of in the camp of I don't really know as a blind guy whether this is something of use to me, when I could pretty much just buy a pair of AirPods Pros and get the same experience because it's just audio to me, right? So what what am I getting from having a headset that I you know is going to crick my neck? Um, is that a wise thing? I don't know. So, you know, I think from my point of view, I'm still a, a little bit hesitant about it. But watching the videos, something that came up recently in a video by Brian Tong, a brilliant video that he did, just kind of walking through what uh, the accessibility features in the system were. I didn't really try any of them out, but he did showcase what was in the headset in terms of accessibility when you go through the menus. Um, he pointed to uh, voice control as a, a great feature, and he he turned it on and he showed a little bit about how it worked. And of course, 
you know all about voice control. It's something you use. Um, but, you know, it kind of got me thinking about voice control again, because I mentioned earlier about the, the issue with my hands. Typing is becoming a bit challenging. Using the computer is getting a little bit more challenging week by week, month by month. And I'm thinking maybe it's something like you said, you know, maybe it's time to dive in. Now, of course, I've got to compare it or, or build it with or use it with voiceover. That could be a whole other world of pain. I don't know. But I know they work together. Um, from your point of view, where are we with voice control? How useful is it to you? It's extremely frustrating to use. Um, I wrote an article for the Register last that summer outlining the many problems with it, um, including the way it handles proper nouns, which again affects my energy levels and breath, because if you type someone's name, like William, and it starts with a, a lowercase w, that's just wrong, and I've got to go back and correct it. So this is one aspect of voice control that really needs fixing um, this year. So I have a love-hate relationship with voice control. It's brilliant for navigation, for opening and closing apps, for very short messages, like see you later. But anything that is long-form dictation is extremely uh, disappointing at the moment. I was reminded quite funnily a couple of weeks ago, um, about 30 years ago, when I was working at the BBC, I had dreams of being a sitcom writer. And me and a friend, in the evenings, at our own time, collaborated on a pilot sitcom script. I completely forgotten about this. And out of the blue, a couple of weeks ago, a friend had saved a copy from 30 years ago. And he sent me a copy of this script. It was 15 pages long. It was formatted perfectly for a sitcom um, television script. And I thought to myself, just think, you bashed out that script by hand on a very basic abstract computer. Remember them? I'm in the evenings yeah. after a long day at work with my hands on a keyboard, which I could use then. But I thought to myself, could I do that today with voice control? Absolutely not. No chance. So until we get to a situation where you can write you know, a large document, um, a presentation, a sitcom script, a thesis, a blog post with voice control as effortlessly as you can by hand, we're not there yet with it. You sent me an article a while back that has been published that talks about voice control and Siri. Almost like, you know, if they could just take what's great about Siri and great about voice control and, and just smush this together, it would be a really great thing. 
Uh, and I would add to that, actually, dictation as well, because I think dictation, I don't know if that's part of Siri, but it's it's a really useful tool as well. It, it seems like there's lots of good work going on, but it's just not being seen together. Is that, is, that seems to be your take. Yes, obviously, I don't know exactly what's going on in Apple, but I'm fairly sure they are completely separate teams with very little crossover, if any, and I think they're missing a trick. Um, ironically, I use Siri more often than I use voice control. Um, it's more yeah. helpful to me day to day, which is ironic. But voice control is is meant for people in my situation. Um, so for the crossover reasons, I think if they maintained one team and one voice technology. Um, that's there for everyone, not just disabled people. I think it's a winner for all. Yeah, because, again, this is the point about technology, right? How it can be so useful to to lots of different people, not just to disabled people. Of course, if it's available and accessible to us, even better, right? That's the whole point. But, you know, if this can be uh, created to be useful to all, I guess that helps. And this is often my thought on this, if it's mainstream, it makes it more available to all, which is good, but it also makes it more accountable by all. Yes. You know, a bigger, you know, fan base, fan base to to speak up about its shortcomings, whereas accessibility often ends up, I hate to use this word, it ends up as a bit of a, a ghetto. And, you know, reviewers don't understand it, um, they don't talk about it, um, it's only left to people like you and me to pipe up and say, hey, this doesn't work, or this needs improving. Whereas if it was part of one mainstream department of technology, everyone would be talking about it. And it is that problem sometimes, I mean, I don't know if you get this, but I've had it sometimes where people will say to me, well, you know, it's, it's great that Apple did that for you. That's really nice that they did that. They made that work for you. Uh, and and they, they treat it almost like it's some bolt-on that connects to my USB-C port of my phone that makes my phone work for me. And, of course, it's not. It's inside every iPhone. Yes, I, I, I've heard that said many times, but it does get my goat up. Yeah. Not good. No wonder at all. Um, now, another thing, interesting, you talk about uh, WhatsApp on the Meta Ray-Ban, but another area that you're kind of keen to highlight to Apple is uh, audio message playback. This is something, I love this, because this is something that irritates the heck out of me. Um, and I could talk about the Apple Watch as well, doing this, where you get a, a WhatsApp message. I mean, WhatsApp support isn't really there on the Apple Watch anymore, so that's another story. But, you know, if you send, if, if I do get an audio message from someone, I have to activate it. I can't just play it. And I find that quite irritating that I can't I have to engage with the device. It can't just read it to me. I can't just ask Siri to to play the message. Yes, I mean this has occurred to me, you know, many times when I'm out with my AirPods on and a friend sends me a voice message within whatever messaging application you're using, whether it's iMessage or WhatsApp. And Siri says you received a voice message from John. And that's all she says. She doesn't say anything else. To me, it's a no-brainer. 
that Siri could say, you received a voice message from John. Do you want me to play it for you? Yes, please. <laughs> um, yes. So I'm hoping, yeah, in floating that idea that this year, that we might see it, you know, at WWDC. We can only hope. What do you think causes this this kind of disconnect between the the company and these ideas? Because I mean, like you say, this seems like an obvious one, right? I mean, it's it's part of the process. It's telling you you've got a message. It would not be out with the wit of man to be able to figure or woman to figure out. You know, okay, I'd like to actually play this thing. What causes that disconnect? Is it just that, that they think in that mainstream sense of, well, you know, you see the play button on the screen, you just tap it, that's it? I think it's technology development. I think I think it's 50% technology development and 50%, Jesus, we haven't thought about this. So I think it's a yeah. bit of ignorance, but also technology. There's another uh, issue that came up that you raised um, about Siri with Apple. And I want, I want to touch on this because I wasn't entirely sure about this one. So this is interesting. Basically, it's about automatic message translation. We're talking across language, right? So we're talking about language translation, which I thought Siri did, but, but it doesn't? Not on the fly. So, for example, sort of a crude example I can give you is that I have a carer who is Polish, and I actually speak quite a lot of Polish. I'm not completely fluent, but our day-to-day communication together is Polish. And if I'm out with my AirPods, I would like to dictate a, a message in Polish, but I can't. It has to be in English. If she wants oh. to reply to me, her first language is Polish, so she will send me a message in Polish. At the moment, although this is going to change in the next few weeks, at the moment, uh, Siri won't read out that message in Polish, or it'll be gobbledygook. It'll be an attempt to read Polish, but it won't make any sense. Right. In iOS 17.4, that's due to be released in a few weeks' time. They're adding multi-language support to Siri readouts. So for reading out, the situation will improve. They will hear my carers' Polish messages very clearly in my ears through the AirPods. But I would like to see Apple go even further with AI, so it understands that I communicate with this contact in Polish. I can dictate a message to my carer in English, my first language, and it lands on her device in Polish, her first language, so she can read it very easily, and vice versa. She types me, dictates me, a message in Polish, and I hear it through my AirPods in English. So what I'm talking about is auto-translation 
on the fly through Siri messaging with AirPods. And this is something that Google have been perfecting for a long time, right? I haven't actually. They do it on so on a device. Yes. So on my Android phone, my Pixel 8 Pro, if I'm texting Haliba, my carer, not with AirPods, but, you know, um, typing into the keyboard, into Gboard, absolutely, it works that way. And it's incredibly useful. Um, but I would like to see it through Siri readouts as well through the AirPods. So hands-free dictation with auto-translation. So it is possible. And I don't think I'm asking too much. But when we're talking about Siri infused with AI this year, this example I'm giving is something which you know could well be on the horizon. Now, another an, an interesting part of this article that I read that again it's one of those things that until someone says it you think like you say you know until you think about it it, it seems obvious uh, and then it's not and actually this is something that's being used in banking applications a lot of bank accounts now are, are locked this way and that is voice ID so we've got face ID we've got touch ID although we don't have face ID on every device and we don't have touch ID on every device either but you know we've got a kind of combination between devices at the moment on the Apple side um Voice ID. Tell me your thinking behind that. I believe, but I'm not sure, so I stand to be corrected. I believe that Google did have voice ID on a previous uh, version of the Pixel phone, but I think they withdrew it because it wasn't this, uh, wasn't that secure, or they felt it mm. wasn't that secure. Um, so it is possible, but as you say, you use it on banking apps um, when you phone up your bank and that kind of thing. I would love to see it on the iPhone as a way of authenticating that it's you. And then it will give you access to things like your messages, your calendar, appointments. And you won't have to open your iPhone, which I can't do. The phone will know it is you through your voice, which for me means hands-free. Now, look, there's lots in this article, and people should go read it, and we're going to make it available to people so you can go do that, because there's lots of stuff in here, and we could, we could touch on all of it. But we're obviously slightly limited by time here. But I do want to ask you about the Apple Watch, because this has been a device which is kind of one of those devices for you. I get the impression... It's one of those ones I'd love to use, but it's just not. It's got issues. It's got challenges for me. And I read an article recently by, I don't know if you saw it, but it was an article by a blogger called Carrie Ann Lightley. She talked about us avoiding this phrase fully accessible because it doesn't apply a lot of the time. You know, someone's, oh, it's fully accessible. But what does that mean? And the Apple Watch, and in particular one feature, which was seen by many as originally from the world of accessibility, but out as a feature in its own right, that was double tap also handy name of an interesting uh, radio show you should all check out. Um, but, you know, that that feature uh, came out and stood alone and many saw it as the sort of enhanced accessibility feature. But it's not accessible to you. No, it's not. 
Um, I phoned uh, Apple Watch as a series four, um, hoping each year that it would become accessible to me, but it never has. So this September, just gone, I finally gave up on it and didn't get the Series 9 or the Ultra 2. And the main reason is that if I want to activate Siri or activate the new double tap, you need to be able to lift your wrist up off your armrest, off your wheelchair, quite significantly for the feature to kick in to activate and I can't do that. What it means is I'm missing a lot of you know abilities that the watch has by asking the time, asking for directions, dictating a message, turning a light on. I can't do that on the watch for this reason. So Siri is out of reach. Double tap is out of reach. Um, so for the time being, I parked the Apple Watch. But, you know, I'm advocating quite strongly that this is a device that should be the perfect device for people like me, for personal safety, for communication, for calls, messaging, smart home control. Because it's always with you. It's on your wrist. And it's such a shame that hitherto Apple haven't made it that accessible. I've concluded that it's the least accessible device that Apple produce at the moment. There's loads of room for improvement. I put it down to battery technology because I understand that these features I can always listing Siri in a very small device like the Apple Watch will eat up valuable battery time. But it may be the case that the battery technology just isn't there yet. Um, so I am prepared to wait, but I really hope that not for much longer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's I think you do great work on the the advocacy front. You're constantly in touch with Apple and pushing these uh, these ideas forward. And and Apple are listening, and that is for sure. I, I know that because uh, they are listening to you. Um, and we're seeing that in, in a lot of the work. And again, if we refer back to the article, you know, there's some good examples in there. Um, I want to ask you one final question though, because it's one company we haven't touched on, and that is Google. Now you mentioned you've got the Google Pixel Eight Pro. What would stop you making the leap over to Google to do a lot of what you do? What's what's the reasoning for that? I mean, aside the perhaps the obvious one, which is you've just always been an Apple guy, and that's kind of it, right? Is it more it's fundamental? the ecosystem. I think it's mm. the same for everybody else. You know, what works on the iPhone works on the watch, works on the, the MacBook. It's the ecosystem. And also the top-notch software. I know people complain about, complain about bugs in iOS 17, but on the whole, iOS just works most of the time. So the top yeah. class yeah. Of software, smoothness of operation, the accessibility features are excellent. 
per second to none. Um, that's the reason. Although I do like the Pixel 8 Pro, they are catching up. And I particularly like the Project Relate app, which is an accessibility dictation app that uh, Google produces. It's in beta, but it's extremely accurate um, to voice dictation. Um, I'm a huge fan of that on the Pixel, and I would encourage people to check it out. Yeah, that's one I hadn't heard of. That's very interesting. Project Relate. Okay. Yes. Um, and, I mean, you know, with all the features that are coming, like you say, I mean, catching up is, is a phrase that often I get in trouble for saying when I talk about Android because it gets into the whole Android versus Apple. And, you know, we've had this debate for so much time. I, I think the way I look at it, and again, it's from my perspective, is if I look at something like TalkBack versus VoiceOver, um, I'd say they're on a level. You know, VoiceOver has a lot of issues today, and TalkBack is kind of there. It has its own issues, but it's kind of creeping up. So I say they're kind of almost on a level, um, but, you know, both sides have got work to do, and I think that's kind of where I would say I, I leave it with with the screen reader debate these days. But, you know, the thing is that there are so many aspects to this. Um, I, I, one final company, which we haven't really, again, we haven't talked about them either, but, again, it's another big product in many people's homes, is Amazon. Um, they're talking, of course, about better AI-based systems. Uh, in you know, starting off already in the states, they've got uh, betas running already. Any thoughts there? I use Alexa most of the time at home for smart home control, but there she is. She just kicked in. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of what Alexa offers, and as far as the smart home. I find them ahead of, uh, you know, Apple and its home app. Um, Alexa is more reliable. There are more options. I'm a huge fan of Alexa. But I hear they're going to maybe charge for, an, you know, uh, the AI-infused Alexa later in the year, yeah. Yeah. which is a bit of a concern. Yeah. That is, I think there's going to be, certainly the, the reporting goes so far that it's going to be almost a, like Lady A, as I like to call her, because then it doesn't set her off, light, uh, which will be what we have today. And then there'll be this souped up version, which will be even better and bigger and brighter and capable, but that will cost money. And I guess we have to think about, and it gets into a whole debate around subscription and, you know, these devices being here in a year's time. You know, we can't, I, I can't expect we can buy a device for $20 and then, you know, we just expect the service to be there for the rest of our lives. These, these services cost. But again, Amazon's a big company. Can they swallow that? I guess they probably can. Maybe they can't. It's a big debate. Colin, I'm out of time, but thank you so much for being with me today for the hour. I also really appreciate, because I know how you mentioned about word economy, and that's something we kind of ignored through this whole hour of conversation. But I really do thank you for taking the time and being with us, because you bring such an interesting perspective to all these stories. And thank you for all the advocacy you do. Thanks. Great to meet you. And that's it for another Double Tap today. Thank you so much to Colin Hughes for joining us and sharing his thoughts on all things Neuralink, Meta, Ray-Ban, and of course, Apple. He's done so much amazing work there. Uh, 
I'd love to hear your feedback on all of this. What do you think about what uh, Colin's been saying? Email us, feedback at doubletaponair.com or you can call us 1-877-803-4567 and leave us a voicemail. You can, of course, find us online as well, doubletaponair.com where you can check out all of our conversations in full and uninterrupted as well. Check them all out there. Sometimes at extra content, you'll find videos, all kinds of stuff, including, of course, videos from our YouTube channel, which you can go and find as well. And we're on social media. We're literally everywhere. Back tomorrow with uh, David Lepofsky, former disability rights lawyer. He's joining us uh, to talk all things tech and some interesting rants he has as well from the blind perspective. And Sean's back. We'll catch you then. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.